Welcome. This is the Real Estate Investing Mastery Podcast. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Real Estate Investing Mastery Podcast. Glad you're here. We got a great episode. I first want to ask you guys, go check out realestateinvestingmastery.com. On there, we have a lot of cool stuff. I give away a free lease option contract. I give away a free wholesaling 101 mind map that teaches you how to wholesale deals from beginning to end. And you can also listen to the other 650 something episodes that we've been doing since 2011. It's one of the oldest real estate investing podcasts on the interwebs. Proud of that. And I've loved doing this show for so many years because I get to talk to cool people like Ryan about his real estate investing business and what he's doing. And so we'll get to that in just a second. I also want to tell you guys one other thing. This show is brought to you today. I love saying that. <laughs> I never, I don't get to say that very often, but this podcast is being brought to you by my new book, my wholesaling lease options book. I'm so excited about this. And uh, if you want more information about this book, you can get it for free. I just ask that you pay a little bit of shipping and handling and I'll send it to you. Um, it's a real physical book. You can read it in a couple hours. Go to this website, wlobook.com, wlobook.com to get it. I talk about my uh, simple strategy called wholesaling lease options. And it's the strategy I use to quit my job in three months. And I did this uh, a few years ago and back in 2009. So almost 10 years ago. And it's still a great strategy. If you were to, I say this often, if you were to take me away from my family and strand me uh, in, in some weird exotic city <laughs> in the middle of nowhere, right? And I couldn't go home until I made $5,000. This is the exact strategy I would use to make some money in doing deals quickly and easily. So check that book out at wlobook.com, wlobook.com. And uh, you'll get a lot of good stuff from that. So Got a great guest on the show today. His name is Ryan Dosey. Did I say your name right, Ryan? Uh, close. It's Dossie. Dossie. I'm sorry about that. Apologize. Uh, it's all right. <laughs> um, it's funny because Ryan has a service called Call Porter. And um, I saw him on a Facebook ad. And I thought, that's interesting. And I, I, I got some information about it. It looks really cool. And then uh, shortly after that, I forget how you contacted me or I contacted you, Ryan. Yeah, so you, you'd actually posted something that you were looking for other folks to have on your show. And it's funny because I'd watch you opt into one of our lead magnets. And I was like, oh, that's cool. Yeah, I've heard great things about Joe. And then I reached out and was like, hey, this is a little creepy, but you <laughs> like my content, so let's chat. <laughs> that's right, that's right. And by the way, we have a little bit of static. I don't know if it's on my end or yours, but Ryan, let's talk about this. Where You've been doing some cool things. You've bought 35 units this year, you told me earlier. You're doing a lot of deals, but you're also helping other investors do deals as well. Can you talk a little bit about your story, first of all? How did you get started into real estate? Yeah, so I'm actually originally from um, St. Louis. Oh, so that's right. yeah. Um, I actually, you know, started out in the, uh, the car warranty industry, which if you're from St. Louis, you know all about. <laughs> if you're from Lake St. Louis, right? Uh, exactly. <laughs> um, so I actually started out doing that full time when I was 17, making really good money and it got just harder and harder to hit bonus. You know, you'd 
you'd finish first and your check would be less and you'd finish well and your check would be even less again. Um, you know, when I started, I think I was, my first full month, I cleared something like $15,000. My last month in car warranty sales, I made less than 1800 bucks. Oh. So kind of decided something had to change. It was about four or five years ago. And uh, a business partner and I, read Rich Dad, Poor Dad, thought, you know, wow, this sounds really neat, but then, you know, what, what do I do with this new information? Um, stumbled on bigger pockets, stumbled on a direct mail provider, dropped like 1200 bucks um, on yellow letters. I actually put it on a credit card that I couldn't afford to pay off at the time. Our first month, we did our first deal, wholesaled it and made something like 12 grand. So yeah, as somebody who was making, you know, 24K or less a year, pre-tax, that was exciting. <laughs> so, um, What year uh, was this, Ryan? You know, that was probably about four years ago. So I'm thinking 2014. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, you want to talk about not doing things the right way. I mean, we, did, we didn't know what we were doing. Threw it on Craigslist and Zillow as a for sale by owner. <laughs> somebody came along and said... Uh, you know, hey, I'd, I'd like to make you an offer on this. And we literally four hours worth of work, you know, had it pretty much done and sold and been involved since. Nice. Ryan, uh, you were saying four years ago, you're working for an infamous company here in St. Louis. Uh, <laughs> you, you eventually started doing deals about four years ago, your first deal, you made about 12 grand. Um, what happened after that? Yeah, so um, we kind of took the model of wholesaling deals to build up enough capital to use it as down payments on rentals. Cool. Um, so the next year we probably did about five or six, got to the point where we bought um, two rentals. Actually, my business partner who I no longer work with actually still, still owns them. Comically enough, that was my initial experience with property management and our original tenants are still there. And we've never really had any issues. Needless to say, I don't think I'll maintain that track record. <laughs> okay. Um, but that was kind of our my initial start. And then about that time, about a year and a half, two years later, I ended up relocating out here to Indianapolis. Uh, my wife is actually getting her doctorate in psychology. So that's kind of what wow. brought us to town. Big deal. And uh, yeah, I just kind of scaled up from there. Nice. And uh, so you're in Indianapolis, right? Correct. Are you still doing wholesaling now? Yes, we do. Um, you know, it's it's cheesy because it rhymes, but our big thing is we kind of just keep the absolute best and we end up wholesaling out the rest. I That's used good. to do some fix and flips. Yeah, I mean, it, it describes what we do perfectly. Um, you know, I, I did some fix and flips and had ones that went great and had other ones that, you know, six months of my life, I'll never get back. What I came to realize is, you know, if I'm going to take the time to manage a rehab on something, I want that property to pay me indefinitely as opposed to a one-time check. All right. So what does that look like in a typical month for you? Uh, how many deals are you keeping and how many deals do you wholesale? Good question. Um, it really kind of varies based on the month. So I guess this year is probably the best example to use so far. Um, we've probably done about three dozen wholesale deals. And then on top of that, we've closed on 38 units now. 
And that's a mix of, we've got a couple triplexes, a four family, a five unit, and then kind of some A-class single family stuff. Our goal was to pick up 50 units this year. So far, we're at 38. My team sat me down and said, we're going to do it by my birthday. So that has us needing 12 in the next month. Huh. Um, I, I think I think we'll be able to do it. So that's that's the goal currently. That's good. Go for it. Um, Thank you. Talk, what are some of the what's some of the marketing that you're doing? How are you finding these deals? Are they all local in the uh, Indiana area? Yeah. So I'm actually um, I buy some rentals in St. Louis still, and some stuff in Louisville with partners currently, and I don't add that to my my unit count tally. So 38's just here, kind of me and my team in our own backyard. As far as marketing avenues, so we're investor care users. We've got the number one organic SEO ranking We Buy Houses site in town. On top of that, um, we drop about 500 pieces of mail a day, actually a little bit more. So it has us doing between about 10 to 12,000 pieces of mail a month. Then on top of that, we also do text message blasting, a little bit of cold calling, as well as we do a lot of email marketing. I'm a licensed broker, so we pull all of the other licensed brokers that have been, have been involved in cash type transactions. And we actually email them constantly as well, letting them know, hey, we've bought something new. Do you have anything to offer? Kind of like bulk networking, I guess, is, is how I'd put it. Well, I love what you're saying here. It's music to my ears. You're doing a lot of marketing, a lot of different creative marketing. And uh, you don't meet too many people that are sending 500 pieces of mail a day. <clears throat> so you're looking at, what is that, 2,500 to 3,000 pieces of mail a week, right? Correct. Yeah. So 20, 2017 for me, um, well, 2016, I only did about five deals. I hadn't gone full-time in real estate yet. Um, <laughs> anybody who knows me knows I don't have a problem betting on myself. So I actually decided to go full-time as an investor when I did a wholesale deal and had a whopping $5,000 in my account. You know, with living expenses of about three grand a month, that doesn't get you very far. So that was 2016 for me. In 2017, we actually ended up doing uh, 74 off-market deals. And the big thing that changed for me was getting consistent in marketing and in prospecting as well as kind of setting some goals and stuff. Yeah. So that's kind of one of the philosophies we've adapted is there's actually, we have certain numbers of text messages, cold calls, pieces of mail we send every single day. That way, even if we come into the office and everybody has an awful day, you know, nothing goes according to plan. We at least know we completed revenue generating activities. That's why we split it up daily instead of doing, you know, weekly or monthly batches. Good, good. What, uh, do you mind sharing with some of your favorite lists that you like to mail to or? Good question. So I'll be real honest. My best list is actually probably absentee owners. And, and I don't know if that's a, the best or if it's just because there's the most quantity of it readily available we kind of do our marketing where we spend a lot of time on kind of our lists, our data and our design, as opposed to just kind of buying bulk lists. So within those absentees, we also mix in, I'd say my favorite is probably evictions. We get them directly from the courthouse. Thing I love with evictions, if you get a first time landlord that ends up in an eviction six months later, they don't want to be a landlord anymore. Um, or a homeowner who couldn't sell or whatever. So tons of motivation there. 
After that, I'd probably say divorce. It's one of those, we've bought a lot of really nice A-class stuff, you know, built 2005 in New York. I'm actually closing on my newest one, which was built just back in 2010, that have come through that channel of people who are just, here's what I owe, here's the situation, I'm done with it. And then, you know, from there we do pre-foreclosure, probate, some of that. Some of the foreclosure stuff, you know, doesn't always pan out. It ends up being they've got seconds they forgot about. We're really they're upside down. So I would say our, our most lucrative is probably absentee just because the economy of scale. And then from there, eviction and divorce. Love that. <clears throat> Evictions have always worked really, really well for me. Yeah, because the heart hard. of the list is <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. And the heart of the list is the better. But the if you're if you're consistently mailing absentee owners you're going to be mailing evictions anyway, right? Mm-hmm. That's good. Talk about SEO a little bit. You're using, I love Investor Care and I've been using their websites for years. Probably one of their first customers, to be honest. Mm-hmm. But you've been doing it for a long time and you're doing really, really well with SEO. As we all know, SEO takes time, regrettably. Wish it was easier. <laughs> but uh, maybe, it, maybe I'm, I don't know it well enough. So talk about SEO. It, it, does it really work? Spending all that time on SEO? So I'm an open book. I'll be real blunt. I don't know a ton about SEO. I just happen to hire the right guy. Yeah. Um, SEO to me is kind of like pay-per-click where it's, you can spend a lot of money and not necessarily get anything back. You know, I've, I've had clients come to us through call Porter stuff that they're, you know, oh, I've got the number one ranking website for sell my old rickety house in Market City. And it's like, nobody's Googling that. You know, you don't even show up pay top 10 pages for, you know, we buy houses. So I had a friend I know who approached me who was doing some SEO in some other industries and said, uh, you know, hey, man, give me two grand a month and six months, I'll have you to first in your market. Somebody I trusted, I said, yeah, all right, let's do it. And month five, we were there. How long ago was so, this? Uh, this was probably a year and a half, two years ago. So we've maintained number one there. It's actually kind of funny. Just for fun, we are like, you know, hey, let's test our site. We threw out a We Buy Houses Honolulu page. And within three months, we now have the number one ranking page for We Buy Houses in Honolulu. So I would say as far as our site goes, we have really good luck with it. Um, That probably gets me one to two deals a month that are inbound marketing. I love outbound because I control the lead flow, right? You know, I can say, hey, I want more calls and just do more marketing. But there's a certain power to people who come to you ready, wanting to say all kind of prompted on their own volition. Um, so we definitely like those SEO leads. But something we do that's a little bit unique, through Call Porter, we actually have an integration built into it where when somebody punches in info on my site and clicks submit, it automatically calls my staff and transcribes that info voice to text where they press two, it calls that person back. And our SEO leads, we typically have on the phone in less than 30 seconds from when they've submitted. Oh, that's huge. Um, yeah, there's all kinds of you know Harvard studies and things that go into getting to leads quickly. And I honestly, that's probably a big reason why we've done so well because, you know, Investor Carrot, they're on the step two form. I'm already calling them. Yeah. Um, so we get them all the time. Oh, I'm still on your site. And we just, hey, you know, we're 
for this fast to get you on the phone, you should see how quick we can buy your house. You know, and just kind of laugh it off and move into the conversation. Nice. Would you mind yeah. giving out your website or do you prefer not to? No, I, I don't mind at all. It's uh, Christopher Ellen Holmes. Ellen is uh, spelled goofy because it's my wife's middle name. It's E-L-L-Y-N. Investor Carrot site that we've kind of customized, tweaked, and kind of done some stuff too. But yeah, I, I don't mind sharing that at all. Can you spell that again? Sorry. <laughs> I'm looking at this thing. I sure. Just... Yeah. So Christopher, um, spelled just like normal. And then Ellen, E-L-L-Y-N. And then Holmes, H-O-M-E-S. Hmm. So why, if you're doing so well on SEO, I'm curious, why didn't you get a better domain? <laughs> uh, good, good, fair question. Um, so when we initially set up the brand, it was done literally as just a, uh, when I was in St. Louis, I had like a, our company was R&R Homes. My wife and I didn't want to copy that and do like Ryan and Morgan Homes or R and R R and M Homes. So I was like, "Well, my middle name is Christopher. Yours is Ellen. Let's throw Homes on it." And she was like, "Sold." Um, we started doing SEO, started killing it, and just honestly haven't changed it. We haven't needed to. Yeah, we've actually kind of got this. Uh, I mean, we've got gosh, I don't even know thirty, forty different five star reviews all over the place. Literally only one negative review from some guy on Yelp that we never even spoke to kind of a deal. It's definitely, if I could go back and redo it, I would have came up with something way cooler. The one thing I do like about it though, is it doesn't really tie back to me personally at all. Yeah. And I'm not really involved in the day-to-day -day stuff anymore. So sellers are never asking for me. They don't even ever really know I'm involved in the process. So it made it really easy to kind of transition from being the company to just working on it instead of even in it. Um, so that is the one thing I like, you know, it, it doesn't tie, they're not calling, you know, um, Ryan buys houses or something of that nature. Yeah. Okay. I got it. Good. And it is an investor carrot website. It doesn't look like your typical carrot website. No, you know, we spent, uh, I personally went through and I think retyped most of the copy on our initial homepage you know, had a, a video made for kind of our hero section. I tweaked with some of the colors and things. Yeah, it's it's not perfect, but it converts really well. We get quite a bit of traffic to it. So we just, you know, if, it, if it's not broke, don't fix it. <laughs> yeah, very good. Good for you. Now, the guy that you, you hired, was it somebody who worked for Investor Care or was it just somebody outside of that company? No, it was somebody outside of it who actually only works on my stuff now. <laughs> so uh, one of the things I kind of do, if I find somebody good like that, I kind of, you know, Hey, what does it take to get it where like you just work with me now? So unfortunately it's not something he offers anywhere for anybody at this time, but it, uh, man, it was a $12,000 gamble. And it was at a time when, you know, 12 grand was, was a lot of money. And the first four months, I was like, man, what am I doing? You know, it's cool that I'm on page six now, but uh, I think it was the start of month five when we moved up to top top three for most of our keywords. And, uh, you know, with our brand at this point, we're actually kind of at the level where people know our brand before they even know me. Yeah. So uh, I, was, I was meeting with a, a family that I'm actually still talking to. We've been trying to buy like 50 units from them now for almost two years and we're getting close. But when we initially met with them, 
I mentioned, you know, yeah, I'm the owner of Christopher Allen Homes. And she goes, oh my gosh, you're that guy? Oh, I've heard so much good stuff about you. So it's, yeah, we're kind of at that point where like our our reputation and our brand kind of precedes us a little bit, which is is honestly really cool. You just don't meet too many investors that are using SEO well, and that's good to hear. Awesome. All right, talk about um, text messaging and cold calling. What are you doing there? Yeah, so... We actually, we really don't do as much of it as we should. Direct mail is obviously what we're the most consistent with, but we've actually had really, really good luck picking up buyers for wholesale deals on cold calling as well as texting. And I don't do your typical, like, what's your criteria? I want to add you to my list. I call them when I already have a deal. And uh-huh. I try to wait till I have something like really good. Um, like we just had a deal here in the market called Fishers, which is one of like the best places to live in Indianapolis. So we just blasted out, you know, Hey, so-and-so we haven't met yet. Uh, looks like you're a cash buyer based off of some records I was looking at. Are you interested in a deal in Fishers? And I mean, we just, our opt-in rate was nuts. So we tend to prospect that way when we actually have a deal, that way we're striking all the iron tie, we've got something to offer them. You probably get the same calls I do where somebody got my phone number or skip traced me and they're like, hey, I want to add you to my buyers list and I never hear from them again. (laughs) So we find when building our buyers list, we actually prefer the cold calling and texting as the outreach versus direct mail, just because we're directly in their phone. They simply text back, you know, yeah, I'm interested or no, I'm not. Um, So we do that with it. And then we also use it on our real niche lists we're getting. Things like divorce, probate, eviction, pre-foreclosure. Um, we're running you know, full quality skip traces on, coming back with six or seven numbers for these people and kind of really working those leads, being consistent with them. We follow up with direct mail, but with those, it's kind of a time is of the essence. So I'd rather text them and be in front of them that day than mail them something and you know they're going to be looking at it next week. Yeah, good. Are you doing, um, are you using any auto dialer? So we have in the past, um, we, we used Mojo and had pretty good luck with it. Actually, no real complaints. Currently, most of our cold calling is actually focused towards larger multifamily. So it's you know not a deal where I've got, say, 5,000 people I'm trying to reach. My multifamily list I'm currently prospecting to is like 380. So we'll go through, perform skip traces, and then pull a lot more data on these buildings when they were built, size, square footage, number of units, if we can find what they're renting them for, you know, Google Street View type stuff. So that way, when we call these people, it's much more, you know, hey, I want to buy, insert what they named the building. Um, I'm looking for properties about this square footage, about this age in your area. Cash buyer, are you interested in selling? So on those, we do a lot more due diligence up front. We've honestly had pretty, pretty good luck with that. That's interesting. Um, good. Yeah, it's we find, you know, if you're if you're chasing something that there's a pretty finite number of, we don't ever want to call and get the like, you know, yeah, are you interested in selling, you know, your 10 unit? And they're like, well, it's actually a six unit. And it's like we're kind of shooting ourselves in the foot right from the beginning. So we uh we typically call out details that can't change. Year it was built, square footage you know, what the exterior looks like, kind of those, those things that don't really move, right? So do you have a team in house that's making these outbound calls for you? Or are you outsourcing it? Good question. 
we we've done it both ways. Call Porter does some of it for me, and it's something they offer on kind of a limited basis. But what we've transitioned to with our multifamily, because it is so detailed specific, I offered one of my acquisition guys just a ridiculous pay plan. Uh, our deal is on a building for the first five units, he gets $1,000 a unit. For the next um, five units, he gets 500 bucks a unit. And then every door after that, he gets 250 a unit. So like a 35 unit building is an $18,000 commission just for him. Um, so we just incentivize him really well. And that's kind of one of the big things he focuses on. We have another acquisitions guy that focuses more on our wholesale type stuff. Right, right on. So are you using bank financing, if you don't mind me asking, to get these deals or using private money, the ones that you're buying? Good question. Hold on to? Um, so almost all of our buy and hold deals are what you would call bird deals at this point. So we've got a pool of money we've raised and we're constantly raising at about 8% interest. Um, we'll go up to nine if they invest over 400000 with us. And we're paying cash using that private funding, typically on a two-year renewable term, interest only. And then about a year, a year and a half in, we're approaching banks, local community, you know, carry their own paper. It's actually technically like a commercial product that they offer on residential. We're looking to go off of appraised value, pull out 75 to 80% to be able to take our lenders, cash them out, and then move them into another deal. Um, so a, a mix of both. Let me ask you a difficult question. Sure. <laughs> Excuse me. I got something in my mouth. <clears throat> <laughs> Do you have a backup plan if all of a sudden the banks say, hey, we're not going to lend any more money. This package is not available anymore. Now you've got a bunch of private investors wanting their money back. Um, have you thought about that? Have you planned for that? Or are you not worried about it? Yeah, good question. Um, so the group I'm a part of, Stewardship Properties, is in 13 states. And they've done this for like 30 years. So I'm an equity owner and partner with them in several markets. Our terms with our lenders are renewable. So as you can imagine, you know, 07, 08, 09, things weren't going great, right? Well, in that time, our Kansas City outfit actually went from like zero to 400 units. So in the event of a, you know, hey, the banks say we're not lending anymore, uh, we can roll over with our lenders if need be. We found during kind of previous crashes, they'd rather keep their money where it's at earning money than yeah. try to pull it back in. So good, good question, but because we've kind of been down that road before, it's not something I lose any sleep over. Well, that's good because a lot of people got pant got caught with their pants down at their ankles because of that. Yeah, right? no, that's probably one of the one of the first questions most new private lenders ask us is, you know, I know so and so who had a podcast or a TV show, and he had 500 units and lost them all in 07. How are you guys different? So I'd say another big part of it is everything we're buying, we're at 75% minus repairs, minus an extra 5K is where we're offering. Yeah. So we truly do have, you know, there's no speculation. Most of what we own is actually fairly like fairly nice. Indianapolis's average home price is I think is like 150,000. So it's a little cheaper than St. Louis. You don't have the affluent areas aren't, you know, Ladue. <laughs> 
Um, but a lot of what we own is, you know, built mid 2000s, three, four beds, two, two and a half bath attached two car garage in the best school districts that, you know, we've got 30, 40 K in equity in and it's cash flowing. So with those kinds of we, properties, what, what kind of cash flow do you get with those nicer properties? So on average, we actually calculated on an annual basis. We average between two to $250 a tour. Uh, it just depends on the property. All right. Uh, we also do all of our own management in-house. Uh-huh. There's a big piece of that, but we do still account for a 10% management fee when calculating the turns. So you mentioned stewardship properties. Is that a, And you said you have an ownership interest in that company. Is that right? Correct. So are they the, uh, is that the company that lends you money initially on these deals? Um, not really. So they do have, you know, private lenders that they brought to the table. Okay. Um, but I've also brought quite a few with me. You know, I want to say last month we had a single week where we raised right at a million dollars. So it's a lot of, yeah, I mean, it's, it was kind of really cool at the beginning, but our first deal we actually did with them, I brought, you know, the deal, the lender, uh, everything ready to go. (laughs) So it was a, it was a pretty easy, you know, pitch to get in with them of kind of, you know, Hey, is this what you're looking for? You know, the house I think was built in like Oh seven best school districts for like 165. And I had it under contract, like 101. Um, so that was, so yeah, it's, uh, it's been, it's definitely been a, a give and take. We try to make sure yeah, in any partnership that you're, you're pulling your weight and then some. All right. Talk a little bit about the, um, the market that you see right now in Indianapolis. It's probably, I know every market is local. I know um, word on the street is you're really hearing things, hearing about things slowing down on the left and right coasts. And mm-hmm. um, so are you seeing any kind of slowdown on the, in the retail market in Indianapolis? So on the retail market, not a ton on the off market side. I mean, it's definitely gotten more competitive, like as it has, you know, everywhere. Typically it's in the higher end stuff that we see slow down. And, you know, with an average price point of like 150, you know, something that's 250, 300 grand has to have a lot pulling for it for somebody to choose it over, you know, the similarly built vinyl village they can pick up for 160 grand. I would say the the place I've probably noticed the most of a slowdown is in the lower quality tier stuff. You know, we'll get leads on stuff all the time that we just pass on because it's, it's too low end. It's in too rough of an area. It's too beat up. And, you know, we find when we're wholesaling and looking for holds, people really are wanting kind of a nicer quality product, but they're also paying a premium for it. I mean, we've got... Um, that deal I mentioned in in Fishers, you know, needs probably 10, 15K in work. Um, we've got, we've sold it to somebody for 150,000 and comps are like 185, 190. So that's, that's pretty thin. My guess is their exit strategy is kind of carpet and paint, relist, make 10% and do bulk of them. Um, we'd actually planned on selling to an owner occupant, but we had another investor come to us that, that really wanted the house. Oh, good. So I got two questions. One has to do with the higher end properties. Let's say for Indiana, for the Midwest, 
you know, high-end property would be three to five hundred thousand dollars, right? Mm-hmm. And that's funny. People in California are saying, "What?" It just gasped. <laughs> but you can get like a real nice thirty-five hundred square foot house on a half acre for three hundred thousand bucks. You know, with the basement. And uh, so that's kind of the higher than the median price range, right? What advice would you give to a rehabber who's looking at buying a house to fix and flip in that three hundred dollars to five hundred thousand dollars price range right now in this market? Good question. I'm probably not, you know, necessarily the voice to follow on this. I've only done one that was a retail fix and flip I did in that price range. And the big lessons I learned on that deal is you want to make sure you're in the right school districts and you want to make sure the product you're working on matches what's typical for the area and even for the neighborhood. So similar construction, similar age, similar curb appeal. And, you know, the one I did, we bought for like 130 and sunk almost 200 K into it. Uh, It was beautiful when it was done. But, you know, what we learned on that particular deal was we had an incredible, really unique house in an area with homes a third the size. So, you know, my 5,000 square foot walkout basement, I think it was five beds, four baths that I was trying to sell, did not match the neighborhood at all, right? So we ended up sitting for longer than we wanted to. We still made money on it. It was a solid deal. But as somebody who focuses more on the buy and hold, I think if I was flipping in that price range, I would be looking more for kind of the easier deals, the carpet paint, kind of quicker in and outs. Anytime I've done flips, those have always been my most lucrative ones versus the, you know, I'm going to drop 200K into this one. (laughs) Yeah. I like what you said about just making sure that you are aware of what similar properties are in that area. And you don't want to be over rehabbing for that property because you can really get burnt right now in this, in this market, because you could be, there's a huge difference in a, a price that you think it's worth 400 today, but it really, you could only sell it for 375, 380. Th- mm-hmm. That could literally eat up most of your profit right there. Yeah. And I personally, I wouldn't flip on that then of a margin either. Yeah. Um, I, I know there's guys who do it, but my rule after, you know, my first one I did, I lost money on, made my private lender whole, moved on to the next one. Um, but my rule after a few pretty skinny flips was, you know, I'm really not going to touch something unless there's like over 30,000 in actual meat on this. And we're talking sub 200K houses at that price point. And as far as comps go, when you're looking at pricing something like this, I wouldn't just take a realtor's word for it. I'd really dive into like, layouts is it an open concept just because it's the same amount of square footage doesn't mean you're going to get the same amount of money for it you know it it seems like people are targeting a very particular feel right now which if you don't have can really hurt you know if it's very walled off very kind of outdated so when i say what's typical you know school districts uh one thing we ran into on ours that was super weird everything else was on county utilities and mine was on a pretty big lot. It was over an acre and somehow was still on well and septic. So just, you want to make sure you've, you're comparing apples to apples. Good. Very good. I am not one to give good rehab advice either. Every rehab I've ever done has been a miserable failure. So I don't like, <laughs> I don't like rehabs. 
Uh, the other question I wanted to ask you was, um, without going into too much detail, there have been certain turnkey providers in the Indianapolis area that have been getting in hot water lately. <laughs> Is that a fair statement? Uh, yeah, that's, that, that's putting it gently. <laughs> okay. um, that's been selling a lot of class D and C yep. properties, right? Yep, And uh, the property management company is blaming this person and that person is blaming the property management company. I don't know all the details of that story, but it's a big deal. And uh, yep. a lot of people have been burnt big time. So uh, talk, can you just kind of talk about that? Like what happened and how can those kinds of mistakes be avoided from the wholesaler selling those kinds of properties is also for the investor buying those kinds of properties. So I think for the, for the wholesaler, it ultimately comes down to actually negotiating a good deal. You know, a lot of the times if it feels like, wow, that was too easy, you may have paid too much. You know, we we're on just about everybody's list that works here in Indianapolis. And it's pretty rare that I actually buy something from another wholesaler without, you know, us actually finding it ourselves. So, you know, making sure, you know, you, your repair numbers are somewhat accurate having a template you work off of for that, having a local general contractor verify those numbers. So you're kind of pricing stuff, you know, somewhat accurately. Um, a guy I used to know phrased it as, you know, you don't have to count the amount of nails or the amount of screws you're going to use. You just need to know you need a couple boxes, right? So pricing things accurately. Um, but I think for the investors, you know, what it, what it comes down to is the whole situation you're referring to is the particular entity involved was buying stuff kind of at tax sale, a couple grand, sucking the life out of it. And these were all, or sucking the equity out of it, I should say. And these weren't cheap rehabs. These weren't, you know, hey, it needs carpet and paint and it's good to go. These were 30, 40, 50, $60,000 projects where they've sucked out all the equity. And really, they only can sell it to a cash buyer because it probably wouldn't even qualify for financing. And then, you know, a lot of these people sent in money on deals that were never even renovated. And they were told, oh, you know, construction delays, you know, oh, it's coming along. There were even stories about people, you know, oh, yeah, the, you know, sorry, the tenant hasn't paid rent for a few months and the property wasn't even rehabbed. So unfortunately, I think the, the entity, the group you're referring to is just like downright fraud. My understanding as a business owner, I think they bit off more than they could chew, overpromised, and simply couldn't deliver. You know, finding good quality contractors to turn the amount of volume they were selling in today's market is pretty hard to do. The GC who works for me runs like six crews. I've got like 14 units currently under construction. And, you know, it's, he has other people offering him work all the time and he, he turns it down. He can't handle anymore. So I think if you're out of state, big thing I would look at, you know, feel free to reach out to me other real estate brokers, somebody in town, have them pull tax records and see kind of where it looks like they got it from. A lot of the times we can even see what they paid for it and you know what it realistically, conservatively is worth. Other thing I recommend is always looking at neighborhood data. There's a site, there's a site I really like called Neighborhood Scout. Yeah. Um, provides really, really good. I just had a private lender reach out to me and said, hey, should I fund this deal? I sent him the neighborhood scout and it was like this county or this particular city is worse than 97% of the state when it comes to crime. And I was like, do you want to own that? And he was like, no. <laughs> wow. So 
you know, looking into that kind of data, not just taking it at face value. And honestly, like the cost of a plane ticket, even for a Cali investor, we've got a lot of California, a lot of Israeli, a lot of Chinese funding coming in. And the cost of a plane ticket, you're going to spend maybe a thousand bucks. It's worth it to invest a thousand bucks to make sure you're not kind of getting taken for a ride versus trying to do it all remotely and trying to trust somebody that, and even if they have a great reputation, even if they run a podcast, even if you heard about them on a podcast, when you're talking about spending, Fifty to one hundred thousand dollars. It's worth a thousand dollar plane ticket to check on it. <laughs> Good point. Good point. And you know, you do a lot of you own a lot of rentals yourself. What do you think about investing in the Class D or Class C neighborhoods? <laughs> so I don't. Yeah. Um, Talk about we, why you don't. Yeah. So I mean, part of why I don't is I'm I'm meeting or my team is meeting with really, really good, honest people who care about people who have just been like run down by the tenant pool in this asset class for you know decades, right? How else do they get to the point where they're wanting to sell to a wholesaler at pennies on the dollar? So a lot of that firsthand, but then our model is also like buy and hold indefinitely. Um, so anytime I'm looking at something, we look at demographics, track records, trajectory, any companies that are coming into town, any, you know, if it's a smaller factory town that has one employer, I'm probably not interested. Um, on the other hand, if it's a small factory town that has eight different factories and three more just announced they're coming in, awesome. I, I would say probably the cheapest property I own, definitely C, maybe even C minus ish, but you know, you look back 10, 20, 30 years and the demographics have completely been changing. They just had a, you know, brand new community center go in. There's a local pharmaceutical company that has a campus right there. Um, so that's an area where it's like, hey, you know, right now it's okay. But 20, 30 years from now, if the data does what it's saying, it will, I'm not going to be upset that I bought here. So that's, that's our big thing is, you know, do I want to be in this area 30 years from now? And you can't always tell, but if demographics, you know, income, crime, poverty, if, if all of that stuff is heading in the right direction, those are typically good indicators. Whereas if it's kind of always been a pretty rough area, seems to still be a pretty rough area. I mean, there's, there's several parts of Indianapolis that we don't even market to. Yeah. Okay, good, good. I want to ask you about Carl Porter. Call Porter. I'm sorry, Ryan. Um, what is Call Porter, and why did you do it? Why did you start it? Good question. Um, so we are an answering service just for real estate investors. So just about any other answering service you've heard for, we'll take calls for anybody who will throw money at them. We only deal with investors. We don't even really deal with like realtors or property managers. It's all motivated seller leads. Reason we started this is I'm really not a great, like, detail oriented person. So I was running into the problem of I'd miss a call, I'd get a voicemail, I'd call the voicemail back, they'd tell me never to call them again, and then I'd call them again thinking that was the number I didn't just call. Um, started doing that kind of stuff. And then the final straw for me, um, we had a lead come in at a time when like I needed a deal. <laughs> if you're new to wholesaling, you'll get to that point where you're like, okay, I need something to pop off here sometime soon. Right. Yeah. Um, guy called in, Hey, my brother passed away. Here's the house address. Here's the description. You can have it for this amount. You know, give me a call. Let's get this done. It was like 
his voicemail could have been scripted from a competitor. The data was so perfect and there was so much info to it. So I was out with my wife at dinner, didn't take the call, didn't get, actually get back to it till Monday morning. And I called him and uh, he said, oh, house is actually sold. And I sold it to the other guy for about 10,000 less. And it was like easily a fifteen twenty thousand $20,000 wholesale profit. Wow. And I was like, Ugh. and uh, what he hit me with, I've never forgotten. He said they had the initiative to actually pick up their phone. So I went with that. Oh. Um, so that, I've been uh, preaching, I've been preaching on that for years. You want to make money in this business? Answer your phone. <laughs> so, um, yeah, we, we started there and, um, you know, it's, it's been about two, two and a half years of us running that business. We actually really only went public um, last August and started actually advertising and taking on new clients. It just kind of grew word of mouth. But I mean, we take between five to 10,000 motivated seller calls a month now for people all over the country. Wow, good for you. Our, our approach is very how to win friends and influence people based. So, you know, they don't run people through like a 30 question script. It's much more, you know, what do I need to know about your situation? What do I need to know about the property? You know, how can we help you? At the end of the day, you got to make a deal with the person. You have to get it where the person likes you. The property doesn't even matter if they're not interested in selling it to you, right? Yeah. Um, so they'll kind of screen for motivation, equity, condition. You know, they're required to ask for an asking price twice. They're required to ask if it's negotiable. And then they'll actually book appointments on those initial calls. So it's kind of an old school copies for closers approach. If they have equity and they want to sell, book an appointment to meet with them. Obviously, you know, clients will say, hey, book me everything or, you know, don't book me anything. I just want follow-ups. All that can kind of be customized. But I mean, we'll, with the amount of marketing we're doing, we'll have single days in our business. We'll, we'll have 30 or 40 calls come in and there's no way we could keep all that straight. Mm -hmm. So is this, is this, I, I saw briefly in the, in the call on Skype, you had an office there. Are all, is all of that done in your office there in Indianapolis? Um, no. So actually most of our staff is located in St. Louis. Um, okay. So the folks we hire come from customer service collections or sales backgrounds. So the cool thing with these folks is like, they don't really get upset. Like it takes a lot for one of these people to get upset. A lot of them actually come from the car warranty industry. So what we've been able to do is, is kind of take folks that have a really good skill set but aren't happy in their day job. And we focus a lot on like community, culture, personal development for our employees. And then, you know, we also actually pay them in ways that directly benefit the investor. So they don't get paid to book appointments. So they're not just kind of throwing stuff at the wall, hoping it sticks. They get paid for things like how fast they answer. So you know, like our average call right now is picked up in like less than 10 seconds. Yeah. If you've used any sort of like an answering service, that's not typical. <laughs> so right. just, uh, yeah, that's, that's kind of the, the community behind it, I guess. Cool. All right. We're running out of time. Um, you've got a great team. Any quick advice? Boy, I don't, we don't have much time to answer this question even, but like, what, talk about the team that you have and how did you build it? So my number two uh, was a guy I met at church. Um, I'm a big fan of hiring for character and personality traits and training the rest. Had never done anything real estate related. He now does acquisitions on anything I want to keep, manages my construction, manages our leasing agents, 
and actually um, even helps with some of our property management. So it was really somebody that I was like, hey, you, know, you and I, personalities work great. I can hang out with you 40 hours a week and still want to hang out with you on a Friday night, right? Good, yeah. Um, so that was, that was a huge kind of first piece was a good foundation. And then from there, we have a second acquisitions guy who also does some dispositions on stuff we don't want to keep. So his responsibility is pretty much wholesale inventory. There's myself. We've got you know full-time maintenance guy to deal with all of our rental stuff. He doesn't do any of our actual rehab, but just handles maintenance requests and kind of odds and ends. And then we've also got a guy in our office who's kind of our director of marketing. It's kind of his job to make sure we hit our numbers. Every Friday, we go over how much went out of what and if it was short, why. And I kind of just removed anything that bottlenecks at me. So even determining where we want to market, the team sends me a, here's where we want to market and why. And it's a simple, I approve it. And we have that done you know, a couple weeks out in advance. Like right now, we've got probably six or 7,000 pieces of mail ready to go that just 500 are getting done every single day. And then we do the next week's amount that week as well. So kind of make sure that we never have a week where I forgot to tell somebody something and the whole machine stops, if that makes sense. Yeah, very good. You're surrounding yourself with people smarter than you? Uh, yeah, smarter than me in, in different ways. You know, if you look at like a typical business, I'm much more your visionary, whereas my number two is much more the implementer type. Yeah. But the guy who runs my marketing equipment actually ran finish lines marketing division um, before he came to work for me. You know, we've got a lot of a lot of the services and developers and things we use come from, you know, people that are much, much smarter than me. <laughs> Excellent. Good, good. Okay, so how can people get a hold of you if they want more information on this um, call porter service? Yeah, so they can literally just go to our website. It's callporter.com. I'm also super easy to find on Facebook, Instagram, and I'll give you all my handles for that stuff to make it real easy for folks. Yeah. My Instagram is at Ryan C. Dossie. I'm on Facebook as Ryan Dossie. My uh, profile is public, super easy to find. And then if you want to email me personally, you can just do Ryan at callporter.com. Excellent. Cool. And on your website, callporter.com, people can get more information on, you know, pricing and how much it costs and how to um, yep, yeah, they sign up. Pricing, for- scheduling a demo, all that's right there. Very cool. Uh, quick question, Ryan, why did you decide to do this call Porter? I know you talked about the importance of answering your calls live, but why you're already doing deals. Why did you want to add a new business into the mix? I'm just curious. Yeah. So we actually call it the Marriott model where it's, I didn't have any intention of starting a business kind of like the founder of Marriott didn't plan on building hotels. I just saw a need that I personally had actually initially hired just one gal to take my calls and then a few buddies were like, hey, can, can she help me? And then I realized, okay, we need more than one person with the amount of calls we have coming in. And really just kind of grew organically from there. And you know, last about this time last year, my brother actually left a really cushy job to come over and run this for me. Um, ran one of the larger retentions floors in St. Louis. And really, he's, he's grown it like crazy, the amount of stuff they're rolling out. I mean, I'm I'm one of their medium-sized clients. There's guys bigger than me we take calls for. But really, it was just... We did it for us. 
friends wanted to use it. And then the marketplace really spoke and said, you know, Hey, we're not happy with what's out here currently. And we're like, well, I mean, we've already got it. We're just not pushing it. So why don't we really take this thing to its potential? Okay. Very good. All right. Thank you so much for your your time, Ryan. I appreciate it very much. Best of luck to you. And next time you're in St. Louis, let's have coffee or something. Yeah, absolutely. My, my in-laws are there, so I'm there all the time. So um, definitely take you up on that. And I appreciate you having me on. All right. Take care. Hey guys, again, go to realestateinvestingmastery.com to get the show notes. You can get more information about Ryan at callporter.com. Oh, that's his company there. Uh, but look him up on Facebook. He's active on there and doing some cool things in Indianapolis. And we appreciate Ryan for being on the podcast. All right, guys, we'll see you later. Take care of a good one. See you, Ryan.